Okay, there we go. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? God the Father provides a place for every creature in the world to worship. Barah Ministries can be your place if you so choose. And one thing to count on here is that you'll learn the truth of the Word of God that sets you free. Whether you allow yourself to be free or not is up to you. At Barah Ministries, we're banking our eternal future on the Lord Jesus Christ. We know with absolute certainty one unchanging fact, that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word. The Greek words, ho logos, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, entering a new mode of existence, true humanity as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And he lived in a physical body among us. And we, as John referring to himself and the other apostles, saw his glory with our own eyes, the glory of the uniquely born one from the source of God the Father, the one who is full of grace and full of truth. We get to know the Lord as we study his word, and as a result, we gain confidence in our relationship with him. We study the Bible, the word of God, the inerrant canon of scripture, the absolute truth. The apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. And no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men, carried along from the source of God the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us into all the truth, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So take that, all you people who think the Bible is just a book. Take that all you people who think that the Bible is just like any other book, it is not. It is supernatural. It came directly from God. It was not human beings writing their opinions. It was them writing the exact thinking of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What the Bible says is true, 
And don't let anyone sway you from this truth, because if you build your life on this truth, you cannot lose. Well, of course, who would want you to build your life on something different? God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period of time. In John chapter 16, verse 11, the Lord says, Concerning judgment, the ruler of this world, Satan, already has been judged. So in the creator-creature conflict, Satan and his fallen angels were judged. And human history is their appeal trial. They accuse God at the verdict of being unloving and unfair. And human history is God's chance to vindicate himself and let everybody know that he is very fair and very loving. Satan's a very real creature, and his fate is sealed. He and his fallen angels were sentenced to the lake of fire in eternity past, and their appeal, accusing God of being unloving and unfair, will be struck down in the Supreme Court of Heaven at a future time. Satan is powerless against God and powerless against us as believers in Christ. Today's lesson is a Lord's Supper celebration. How can I be saved if I can't save myself? How can I be saved if I can't save myself? Well, false teachers with their false teaching came in and confused the members of the churches in the Galatian region, a region in Turkey. And as Paul put it, they were bewitched. They were gullible, and so they were duped. And, you know, we can think that the only people who are gullible are the people in the first century church, but we're just as gullible today. And Satan is a brilliant genius who's great at deceiving. And we fall for a lot of his deceptions. So allowing themselves to be fooled by liars was the choice of the believers at Galatia. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, which is the subject matter of our current study, he affirms a very important idea, perhaps the most important idea in divine history, justification by faith. If you're a Christian and you don't understand justification by faith, then you should probably do more study than you're doing. Justification by faith comes through faith alone and Christ alone for your eternal life. And in today's Lord's Supper celebration, the Lord reminds us of the importance of this truth. This is a lesson made for everyone's ears. Well, let's hear some music. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. It can't get any clearer than that. God is the only one who saves. And Paul Wickham puts it in song that the Lord is the God of our salvation.
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the crystal clarity the Bible provides. Thank you for giving us, God, the Holy Spirit to make clear what Scripture is telling us. Thank you for giving us the gift of faith so that we can develop a lifestyle of faith. And thank you for the free gift of salvation because of the sacrifice of your Son and our Lord, Jesus the Christ. Today, Father, we pray for our enemies. We pray for all those who reject a relationship with your Son by saying he's just like any other man. We pray for all those who attack the veracity of the Bible by declaring that it's just a book. We pray for all those who are fooled by men, false teachers with their false teaching, who are seared in their conscience as if seared with a branding iron, those who suppress the truth with their unrighteousness. Father, we wouldn't wish your wrath on our worst enemies. We pray that you keep on teaching us how to spread the gospel message to the unbelievers in our periphery. Help us provide them with the truth that sets them free from bondage to sin and to the law. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. The Lord's Supper celebration today, how can I be saved if I can't save myself? How can I be saved if I can't save myself? Well, today's entire lesson is a Lord's Supper celebration. There are people in your life who are no longer here on earth. They have passed away, is one of the ways the Bible says it. They have died. And if these people were significant in your life, sweet memories remind you of why they were meaningful when they were here. My mom comes to mind. I have regular memories of her, and I still get choked up thinking about her. There are others. Louis Armstrong, Ray Charles, Tony Bennett, Burt Bacharach, Whitney Houston, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Natalie Cole, Robin Williams, Jesse Owens. These are just the, a few of the people that have been on my mind this week. The soul once born never dies. We get to choose where it spends eternity. And I was wondering where these people are. They're no longer here on earth, but they still exist. Are they in heaven or are they in the lake of fire? We don't know. God knows, but we remember. In the Lord's Supper celebration, we remember. Why are believers in Christ obedient? to the request from our Lord to celebrate this way, to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Well, the Lord's Supper was established by the Lord on the night of his final meal with his apostle, known as the Last Supper. The meal was held during Passover, the Jewish celebration of their escape from 400 years of captivity in Egypt. Meals are a time for families to come together, and the Lord wants his family of church-age believers to come together regularly to remember him. What do you remember about the Lord during this special time? The Lord commanded his apostles, do this Lord's Supper in memory of me. The Lord suggested frequency, keep on doing this in memory of me. So we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross regularly. We eat to remember who he is as a person. We drink to remember his work on the cross on our behalf. It was a voluntary sacrifice he made as our sin substitute. 
This spiritual meal is a deep, intimate, and personal expression of our unconditional love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our gratitude for who he is and what he has done. And I hope those of you in the non-resident congregation will be joining us in the Lord's Supper celebration with your own bread and wine. During this celebration, the Lord reminds us what his body and his blood did for us. It provides an eternal future of spiritual nourishment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul reminds us on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup representing his blood as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death until he comes again at the second coming. The Lord's death on a cross provided the opportunity for freedom for every creature who has ever existed, for every creature who has been on earth, for every creature who's on this earth right now, and for every creature who will ever come to this earth. The Lord is calling you to freedom. Will you come? So we're studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. And at the end of chapter 2, there are a couple of verses that reverberate around the world to this very day. Here they are, Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. It says, I, as a believer in Jesus the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, have been crucified with the Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in dwelling me. And the life which I now live in my physical body, I live by faith alone in the Son of God alone, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, the one who loved me unconditionally and who gave himself up as a sin substitute for me. As we look at this verse, hang on one second. Oh, I wanted to give you one more verse. Galatians 2.21. I, Paul, and all believers in Christ, do not nullify the grace of God by thinking I can be saved by my works. For if absolute righteousness comes to us through keeping the Mosaic law, then Christ died needlessly at the cross. So as we look at these verses, we are reminded of one of the most important doctrines of the Bible, if not the most important doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of justification. And when you become a believer in Christ, you are justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means that God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. I don't believe you had me. So I'm going to say it again. What does it mean to be justified? It means that God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. You don't look at yourself that way. Every time you commit a sin, oh, I just know God's so disappointed with me. No, he isn't. Believers in Christ should never say stuff like that because it exposes your lack of knowledge of who God is what he stands for, and what he says in his word. And that is not what he says in his word. He never in any place in the Bible says, I'm really disappointed with you. Nowhere. 
And he had a lot of people to be disappointed with. He should have been disappointed with Judas, the one who betrayed him. He loves Judas unconditionally to this day, even though Judas is in the lake of fire. He loves Satan unconditionally today, even though Satan is running a program that is anti-Christ. Now, if as believers in Christ we don't understand that, we have a problem. But we love self-castigation, don't we? We love thinking that we're somehow special and somehow more spiritual if we're banging ourselves over the head and talking about how lousy we are. That's not smart. And that is certainly not how God looks at you. And so that's why the doctrine of justification is so important to understand because when you understand what it means, and it's a legal term, when you understand what it means, you understand that it means that God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. And there are so many pastors who don't teach this because it exposes their legalism. It exposes them as charlatans who are trying to make you feel guilty so you buy your way out of the feelings that you have. Oh, well, if I just give enough to the church, maybe God will like me a little better. Well, I'll tell you, he will. And today when we take the offering, we want you to put a whole lot of money in there because God will like you a lot better if you put a whole lot of money in there. Here's what the doctrine of justification means. It means that as believers in Christ, you have a right standing before God. You have a right standing before God. What's another way to look at it? You can stand in front of God with confidence because you are on his team from the moment that you believed in him. And that's what these verses at the end of Galatians chapter 2 are pointing out. Now, why do we have right standing with God? We have right standing with God because the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and that's what the Christ means in his name. It's not his last name. It means he is Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, so that there be no no missing it, that this is the guy who was promised in the Old Testament to be coming to go to a cross, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to go to a cross and to die for us. In fact, the entire triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, live in you believers in Christ in this age. We are church-age believers, and the entire Trinity indwells us. And that's another reason why when Christians are being self-effacing, and beating themselves up, and thinking that they have to do penance to be acceptable to God, they're missing the complete point of the way the Godhead looks at us. You are justified, which means that God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in essence, defines what it means to be a Christian. No more I life. No more I life. I live because Christ is indwelling me. We have placed our, all our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Is that necessary? 
to place all of our faith in Christ? The Bible says it is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the Lord makes it clear that we are all sinners from birth. We're born physically alive, spiritually dead, on the wrong side of a barrier from God, condemned to the lake of fire from birth. And it's always funny to me when I see people cooing and gooing over babies. When those babies are, they may, as cute as they are, they are condemned to the lake of fire at birth. And our responsibility as parents is to introduce them to the Christ, to the Messiah, to Jesus, so that they have an opportunity to be saved. It's our job to give them the gospel message over and over and over and over again until they can't forget it. So this passage in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, is an indictment of the entire human race. And you need to read that whole passage sometimes. Because there are people walking around the world today that have no idea. Six billion people are walking around the world today out of the seven billion people and have no idea that there is an indictment against them. Now, is it that they can't know it? No. They can know it. They're rejecting it. They've heard it from people that are in their periphery and they reject it. All creatures are born guilty of sin. All creatures are born in a helpless and hopeless condition. That's why babies are born to parents, to teach them what helplessness and hopelessness looks like. Because babies are not able to fend for themselves. Think of how dependent a baby is in absolutely everything. And I I was talking to a new parent recently, and and she said, Oh, my God. I, I, I mean... I have to do everything, and, and oh my God, I said, oh no, come on, they're really cute, aren't they? They're really cute. No, they're cute sometimes. They're cute one time out of a thousand times. There's nothing cute about changing a diaper or getting peed on, <laughs> and I'm cracking up because I never got peed on. If you get peed on when you have babies, you, you do not have game. You aren't going to that game, that diaper change game, with a strategy. You got to go in hot. You got to go in with the diaper in your hand and hold it down, especially for boys, because boys got the fire hose. They can get you. Girls, not so much. But anyway, these creatures are born helpless. Think of how dependent a baby is. So, And in the spiritual realm, we're the same way. We're born helpless and hopeless And we're completely dependent on God. We're born without a relationship with God. We're born unable to do anything about our condition. We're condemned to the lake of fire from birth. We're powerless. We're unable to do anything about it. That's what that passage is talking about. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to Romans chapter 3 verse 20. That passage changed my life. Because I always thought that there was something I could do to save myself. 
I always thought I, there, there was something I had to do to make God like me. I didn't understand unconditional love. I didn't understand forgiveness. I didn't understand grace because I became a Christian and then I made the mistake of going into the Roman Catholic Church and being inculcated with the lies of the Roman Catholic Church, which in essence tell you that God has something against you and that every time you sin, he's so disappointed with you and you got to go to confession and you got to tell a priest your sins and he gives you penance, a punishment for your sins. Well, what does Galatians 2.21 say? Pop that up, Denny. It says, I, Paul, and all believers in Christ do not nullify the grace of God by thinking I can be saved by my own works, by thinking that I can cleanse my own sins by confessing them to another person. The only thing that cleanses sin is blood, and it's the blood of Christ. For if absolute righteousness, the requirement to get into heaven, if absolute righteousness comes through keeping the Mosaic law, by following some set of rules, then why would Christ have had to come here and die on the cross? Then Christ died needlessly at the cross. You can't save yourself. You can't cleanse yourself from sin. What you need to do is get real used to it that you have a spiritual bank account. And every time you sin, there is a deposit made into that bank account that has to be handled. And Jesus Christ handled it. He doesn't handle it. He handled it with an ED on the end already. And when that deposit comes in and it's sin, which is a withdrawal from your account, the Lord says, paid in full. Paid in full. When Satan accuses us in the Supreme Court of Heaven, look at Rory. Look at all the stuff he does. How can you have him stand up in front of people and be a pastor when he does all this stuff? Paid in full. Next. Why do we have such a hard time as human beings accepting that absolutely incontrovertible irreversible fact because we live in Satan's kingdom and Satan uses people to tell you another truth. False teachers with their false teaching telling you another truth to disrupt your joy, to disrupt your serenity, to make you feel. And we buy it. We can't wait to buy it. We can't wait to sit in front of pastors like that. And we look at those pastors and we go, oh, he's so cute. Oh, isn't he a dear? And you know who I'm talking about, the TV guys. Oh, I just love him. He's so cute. Yeah, but he never opens the Bible. And he never teaches you anything in there. And he never has mentioned once in his life unconditional love. But you keep going to him. You keep sending him money. You keep feeding that beast. It's just amazing to me. Okay, so let me show you a part of this passage I'm talking about. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to Romans chapter 
3, verse 20. Let me show you one of the parts of this passage, one of the passages that changed my life because it was a cold, a cold glass of water in the face. Romans 3.10. It is written, this is the Lord speaking to human beings. It is written. See, the Lord does everything in writing. The Bible's a contract. It's a love letter, but it's a contract. It is written. There is no creature who is righteous before God, not even one. Romans 3.11, no creature understands God or any divine thing. No creature seeks a relationship with God. Romans chapter 3, verse 12, all creatures have turned aside from God, and together they become useless. No creature does anything good. There is not even one. Romans 3.13, the throat of every creature is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep on deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Now, in case you don't know what an asp is because you ignored the P and put an S on the end, you know, the poison of asses is under their lips because you did that. An asp is a snake. And there is no surprise to you that there are people who are snakes. They are deceptive. What what, what did we see in the garden? What what form did Satan take in the garden? He was a snake. And there are snakes in the world. And they're always looking for an opportunity to bite you. And as Christians, we're not doormats. And we're not stupid. We don't sit around with snakes and expect that we might not get bitten. Romans 3.14 The mouth of every creature is full of cursing and bitterness, which means full of blasphemy. Romans 3.15, their feet are swift to shed blood, murder. They're murderers. Romans 3.16, destruction and misery is in their path. Romans 3.17, and the path of peace they have not known. Romans 3.18, there is no fear and no respect for God before their eyes. Okay, that shoots down the thought, you know, I'm basically a good person. How many times have you heard people say that? I'm basically a good person. I'm not like Hitler. I didn't kill anybody. I'm basically a good person. What does the Lord say? The Lord says, at your core, you are useless, worthless, from birth. I read that and I thought, oh, man. I had no idea that that was me. Yeah, that's me. How many people do you know who are walking around thinking they're all that? I can't wait to get to Galatians chapter 6. That part, verse 3. If a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Yeah, I was very willing to wallow in the deception that I'm all that. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to Romans chapter 3, verse 20 is God's formal accusation. That's what an indictment is. It's a formal accusation directed toward every creature ever created. 
And all you can say to that is, dang. And what can we do about it? Nothing. Now, see, here's the whole caste system. I was watching a movie last night about a 14-year-old boy who was killed in 1955 because he was being friendly with a white woman in the South. And he was slaughtered. Emmett Till. I think it's on Netflix. And I was thinking, what was God thinking making me black? What was he thinking? I'll tell you what he was thinking. He was thinking, just don't make him black in 1940. Because this guy would be dead in about a week. Because there's no way I'm going to take the crap that Southerners directed toward black people. And what is it? In, in a nutshell, it's superiority. I'm superior to you because the color of my skin is different. And if I didn't go to high school, if I didn't go to grammar school, and you have a, 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 um, an MBA from Harvard, I'm still better than you. That's Satan's kingdom. That's the sponsorship in Satan's kingdom. Always superiority. Always putting somebody down. Yeah, false justification. Where we look at, false justification is when you look at somebody and say, all I see is your sins. And how many Christians are there that adopt that stupid philosophy? And when they look at each other, all they're seeing is the flaws. Well, what else is there to see but flaws? But here's the thing. When you look at everybody else's flaws, do you forget that you have them? Do you forget that you're no different? Do those verses in Romans 3, chapter 10 to Romans 3, 18, tell you who you are too, and that you're no better than anybody else? And that because you make money, or because you're pretty, or because you're nice, or because you... Uh, have certain, uh, you have a house or a car, all those things, doesn't change anything that was communicated by God in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. <coughs> it doesn't change one thing that God communicated in that whole passage, Romans 1, 18 to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And what can we do about it? What can you do to stop being a sinner. Nothing. You can't do a thing about it. What can you do to save yourself? Nothing. What can you do to get to heaven? Nothing. That ought to be pretty sobering. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that changes what is being communicated in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. There's nothing you can do to change that. The sovereign God of the universe says that's who you are at the very core, that you're rotten at the very core. I read that and I thought, oh, man, what am I going to do? Nothing. Didn't you hear? <laughs> There's nothing you can do. You don't seek a relationship with God. He seeks a relationship with you. and gives you an opportunity 
to have a relationship with him. You don't seek it out. Oh, okay. Well, knowing that we can do nothing about this, the Lord did something about it. The omniscient Lord who knows all the knowable knew that before he even created his creatures, how goofy they would be. Every sin they would ever commit, past, present, and future. That because they're born sinners, there would be no way for them to navigate across the barrier. So what did he do? He went to the cross to save us from this fate. And when we choose to become believers in Christ, when we choose to acknowledge, there's nothing I can do, Jesus will say to us, there's something I can do. You want to be on my team? We got really cool uniforms. And so we place our faith alone in Christ alone and take advantage of his grace alone to be saved. Even though we can't do what the Lord has provided for us makes our salvation done. Salvation occurred in the past and it stands finished forever. And all you have to do is ask for it. Okay, I'm going to Dairy Queen later today. And I have a credit card with a lot of money on it. And I'll buy you ice cream. But there's one condition. You have to ask for it. Well, I don't want to have to ask for it. Why? Well, I mean, that makes me look like I don't have any money. Okay. Ice cream's free. All you have to do is ask for it. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I got my pride. I don't want to ask for it. I don't know what's wrong with you, dog. Dairy Queen's got Blizzard. They got ice cream with Oreos in them. I, all right, you don't want that? They got ice cream with s'mores in it. You don't want that? I'm buying. All you have to do is ask. No, I, I don't think so. That's the salvation equivalent. The Lord goes to the cross to provide a way for everyone to get to heaven. And there are people who just don't want to ask. As believers in Christ, we're identified with everything that belongs to Jesus Christ. That's what baptism means. Baptism is you being identified with Christ. And it is not because you took a kid there and poured oil in the kid's eyes when the kid is six months old and think that they're baptized. They're not baptized. You can't make a decision for a kid. Baptism has nothing to do with being dunked in water. Oh, well, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Yeah, okay, why don't you get a little deeper than that and find out why that happened. That happened as a sign to John the Baptist of who Jesus Christ was that had nothing to do with salvation. What is baptism? It's being identified with Christ, and the only baptism that is legitimate is the baptism of God the Holy Spirit. At the moment you believe in Christ, God the Holy Spirit places you into union with Christ. That's baptism. At the moment of your salvation, God the Holy Spirit places you into union with Christ, and that is baptism. It has nothing to do with water. If it did, no black people would be baptized. We can't swim. Amen? That was funny. You, it'll hit you later. June's cracking up over in North Carolina right now. 
because she can't swim. So as believers in Christ, we are identified with everything that belongs to Jesus Christ. Through the baptism of the Spirit, we're placed into an unbreakable union with Jesus Christ from the moment of salvation. Once you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation. And people want to tell you that you can. Oh, well, if you continue to sin after you've been saved, maybe you had a head belief and not a heart belief. Okay, hang on one second. What chapter and verse is that? The head belief, heart belief part? Oh, no, I mean, it's not in the Bible per se. Yeah, okay, well then shut up. Don't talk to me about it unless it's in the Bible. Please. Don't talk to me about it because it's not the truth. You made that up. This is what the Galatian believers were experiencing. That false teachers were coming in with their false teaching, the doctrines of men. That's what the, the Bible calls it. Teaching as doctrines the traditions and the principles of men. So, as believers in Christ, through the baptism of the Spirit, we're identified that with everything that belongs to Jesus Christ. We're placed, placed into an unbreakable union with Him from the moment of salvation. You can't lose your salvation. We are dead to sin and dead to an obligation to follow the law which no man has ever followed successfully except the God-man, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a lot of Jewish friends, and they have Sabbath on Saturday. And on, on Sabbath, you can't work. There isn't a one of them that doesn't do work on Saturday. They can't keep the law. So what was the purpose of the law? The law came in so that the transgressions would increase. The law came in to teach you that you're a lawbreaker. That's what Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to Romans chapter 3 verse 20 is all about. So what do we do? We attempt to pay for our own sins. We attempt to redeem ourselves. We are, attempt to follow the Mosaic law and its commandments. And it's fruitless activity and you know it, and you lie to yourself and give yourself this mental serenity through the lie that you're really doing something when you aren't doing jack. We cannot redeem ourselves. And the false teachers in the first century Galatian region claimed that it was okay to be a Christian. Yeah, you know what, I get it. I get it. You want to believe in Jesus Christ? I get it. I get it. I mean, I, I don't want to admit it, but the guy did rise from the dead, right? I saw him killed. He was gone for three days. He rose from the dead. He appeared to 500 people at once. He was around for 50 days. I get it. I was there when he rose up into the sky. I get it. You want to be a Christian? Be a Christian. It's no problem. But just let me explain to you that you have to do more than that if you want to be saved. It's not just believe in Christ. It's not. You have to do more than that. Well, excuse me, but I think done means done. I'm very intelligent. I'm really smart. I have a high IQ. You know who taught me about Christianity? A guy in Mexico 
who made $7 an hour carrying bricks up seven flights of stairs every day. He taught me about Christianity. And he taught me that if the Bible isn't relevant to him, then it isn't relevant to anybody. And you don't have to be smart or intelligent or wonderful to be saved. I can't tell you, I don't get embarrassed. I don't. I can't tell you how embarrassing it was to have a conversation with a guy who was making Christianity so simple. He said, you know, Rory, every time I go to church, the pastor asks me to get up and explain a verse or a passage. And he says, I don't know how to do that. I'm not trained. And so I just get up and I let God, the Holy Spirit, do the talking for me. And I started crying. I started crying. You know what I was saying to myself? How full of shit are you, Rory? How full of shit are you? Here's Domingo teaching me about Christianity when I've been teaching the Word of God for a quarter century, understanding not a damn thing. Because Christianity is so simple. It's just Christ. The false teachers were liars. They claimed that self-righteousness is important. They said religion is important. Religion is Satan's strategy against the human race to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God. To drag your eyes to people and to consider Christianity to be about uh, the people that you're around. It's not. And what these false teachers were saying is that there, there are all these things that are conditions for salvation. They are liars. Oil and water don't mix. The Lord Jesus Christ is like water, and when you mix oil with water, the oil rises to the top. The oil is superficial. The oil is like superficial people who count on themselves for salvation. And their shallowness will make them rise to the surface. And their hypocrisy will be exposed. They are pretenders who rejected a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Jesus Christ. And for all eternity, they will regret their foolish decision. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made a stunning and misunderstood pronouncement. In John chapter 17, verse 30, one of the seven things he said as he hung from the cross, he said this, when Jesus, as he hung from the cross, had received the sour wine, and right after he said, I am thirsty, he said, it is finished. And Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit into the care of God the Father. It is finished. Jesus' body went to the grave. His soul went to Tartarus, a compartment of Hades in the underworld, to announce the victorious proclamation to the fallen angels who are housed there. It is finished, he said. That's a Greek idiom, the Greek word tetelestai, and it means paid in full. All sins of every creature who has ever existed 
have been paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ's work at the cross. The only way for us to move from sinner to saint as believers in Christ is to count on the work of Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross, the sin of every creature is now paid in full. Your salvation is on a layaway plan. And when you have something on layaway and it's been paid for, you can only take advantage of your layaway item when you claim it. You have to go to the store and pick it up. You have to go to Dairy Queen with me with my credit card and ask for the ice cream. As believers in Christ, we know that it is not the law or morality or good works or religion that gets us to heaven. It's Christ alone who has the power to get us to heaven. For believers in Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 resonates inside of us. It says, since all things mentioned at the end of Romans 7 are true, Believers in Christ need to remember that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in union with Christ. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in union with Christ. Lord, that's not true. We condemn ourselves all the time. I know you're wasting your time. I know I love you unconditionally and you can't get it. You would rather believe the opposite. You'd rather believe what Satan is saying. He doesn't love you unconditionally. You have to do, 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 the do-do life. God's graciousness offers every creature a plan to be saved as a free gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this. For by God's grace you have been saved through faith alone in Christ, alone for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation is not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift from the source of God the Father. Ephesians 2.9, so being saved is not a result of your works, not a result of deeds you do in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. As believers in Christ, we choose dependence on Christ for our salvation, and we are saved by his gracious mercy when we're unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 say this, Therefore we believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ, as though God the Father were appealing through us, because he is, first class condition, if in the Greek. We beg you unbelievers on behalf of the Christ, be reconciled to God the Father. For God the Father made Jesus, the Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God, the Father, in union with Him. As believers in Christ, you are justified. The entire Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, looks at you just as if you had never sinned. You have a spiritual bank account, and every bill you owe, every sin you commit, is presented against the bank account as a debit. And Jesus Christ takes the debit, and stamps it paid in full because at the moment of your salvation, the Lord credited absolute righteousness to your account. And I call that plus R. Plus R stenciled to your forehead. That's your admission ticket to heaven because to get into heaven, you, can be, you have to be righteous. And when you study Romans chapter 1, verse 18, 
to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, you realize you are not righteous from birth. But when you believe in Jesus Christ through faith alone, in Christ alone, with nothing added to it, no oil in the water, and that's what the false teachers in Galatia wanted to do. They wanted to mix oil into the water. When it's the water alone, when it's Christ alone, that's the ticket to eternal life. Do you want to work for your own salvation? That's minus R. You show up to, uh, in front of the Lord with minus R, it's going to be hot. He's going to take you, step to the left and take the elevator, press down. Unfortunately, self-righteousness cannot get you to heaven. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper elements, and then we'll revisit a passage from Romans that illustrates your justification. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong. At the end of the line, will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell.
Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration. How can I be saved if I can't save myself? How can I be saved if I can't save myself? Christians are to follow the Lord's example in everything, especially in the matter of giving. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son. What's the best time for Christians to give? Well, then it must never be a time when we don't give. Everything we have comes from God. And when we give, we are simply redirecting the resources God has given us to his purposes. Giving expresses your faith in God. You don't worry about the amount you give because in faith you know God will return it to you abundantly. Let your giving rival God's giving and watch what flows into your life. Give something. Give anything, give now, and keep on giving. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Go Denny, go Denny. It's your birthday. 
Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Brown Ministries. I'm blessed because at Brown Ministries, we know the lesson, lesson of patience is one of the most important things in, in, the, in our lives. Patience is key in every part of our life. One of the easiest ways to have patience is to never give up. When you think about it, when Christ went away for three days, that must have been so difficult to have patience at that point. Three days of waiting. One day, could you just imagine? No, he's not coming back. Two days, no way, it's not going to happen. Take away the supernatural part of God instantly. You think about people that go through getting cabinets. I do cabinets, I've done cabinets for 20 years. You know, they have to give a deposit, they have to go through planning, give a deposit, um, get the things built, delivered, installed, and then they have to wait for countertops and sinks and appliances and all these things. And so you really have to have patience. It could be a two-month, could be a six-month process. But people are willing to do it, right? They're willing to have patience. And so we need to have, remember to have patience in other things. And you think about uh, some of the most important people on the planet, farmers. You know, they're growing, they're putting the seed in the ground in Iowa right now to, 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 to grow corn. One of the most important and delicious things on the planet. <laughs> well, it's, uh, that's not funny. This is serious. <laughs> yeah. They have to plan it, you know. They have to wait three months or so. They have to water it. They have to put dedication. They have to put time. They have to put energy and money into it. And then they have to wait to sit and wait. So it's tough. You know, if we dig deeper into that, you think about Christ. When you're talking to Christ and you're, giving, you're doing prayers, you're giving him prayers, How is, are you patient with those prayers or do you want them now? I know I'm not. I'm always wanting them right away. But sometimes the mountain doesn't move. We just get through it. And you think about, what was the other thing I had? Um, it's right there in front of you. Uh, oh, uh, um, having, pre- having patience with Christ, having patience with others, one of the hardest things is pre- pregnancy. You know, because pregnancy, you have to wait a long time. There's a long process there. And the woman is going through so much. They're having, you know, hormonal issues and just emotions they've never had on top of the physical things that are happening with the body that you've never had before. It's a long time. You've got to wait. And the reward comes along later, a long, a long time later. And so it's really a long time to wait. And then you think about yourself, you know, do you have patience with yourself? That's one of the key things we often don't. What are you procrastinating right now? What are you, what are you not doing? Well, have patience with yourself. But I can name one thing you're probably not doing, and that's giving to Barah Ministries. <laughs> you're procrastinating that. But that's one way to show that you have patience with God, is to give to Him your, your time, your talent, and your treasure. And that's one way to show that you're never going to give up, is to give to a ministry and support that ministry because it's supporting the message of Christ. And we can look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we do not give up, we will reap what we sow. And sowing spirituality and sowing supernatural, is gonna, it's going to come back for us. It might take three days, it might take six months, but it'll be here. So thank you for always giving to Brown Ministries and supporting our pastor and supporting Christ.
Okay, good. Welcome back to the Lord's Supper celebration. Next is enjoying the elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember Him, and we will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. Tell us the reason the Lord wants us to celebrate this meal together says this, while the apostles were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. Matthew 26, 27. And when Jesus had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood the blood of a new covenant, the blood of a new testament. My blood poured out for whosoever for the forgiveness of their sins. We celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus died for us as our sin substitute. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead to prove his deity. Jesus Christ will come again to gather us into himself. We celebrate and we're grateful. We remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally. He forgives us completely for every sin. He always treats us with grace, always giving us blessings we could never deserve. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible through the cross for every single one of your creatures to be saved and to be blessed. Thank you for all of your gifts. Enjoy the elements as you listen to Telly Leung remind us where spiritual gifts come from. seed on the land but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand he sends the snow in winter the warmth to swell the grain the breezes and the sunshine the soft refreshing
love that Telly Leung guy. Phenomenal singer. The Lord's Supper celebration. How can I be saved if I can't save myself? So how do you know if you're saved? A beautiful passage highlights what Christ did for you at the cross. You, as believers in Christ, are justified. God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31 say this. But now, see here's the, those two words are such a powerful transition. After that, Romans 1.18 to Romans 3.20, where you've been told, you ain't it. And you, you get that realization from the indictment that you're guilty. And then he says, but now, apart from the Mosaic law, another principle entirely, the righteousness that comes from God the Father, which has been made clearly visible to everyone who's ever been here, being witnessed to by the Mosaic law and the sacrificial offerings. That was what the whole Old Testament was about. Everything pointed forward to the cross and to a Savior and being witnessed to by the Old Testament prophets in direct statements. They were telling everybody, here's what to look for when the Messiah comes. Romans 3.22. Righteousness that comes as a gift from God the Father through the principle of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not through the principle of faith in yourselves for righteousness. And that the free gift is available for whosoever believes in Christ, for there is now no distinction between Jew and Greek. And Jews and Gentiles is what the real translation is. So, the, the Jewish race... They are the chosen people. Israel is the chosen nation. But now there's no distinction. The Gentiles, we are Gentiles. And we're part of the ball game too. Romans 3.23, For in God's eyes all creatures have sinned in the past when Adam sinned, and all creatures keep on sinning, and all creatures keep on falling short of the glory of God. Romans 3.24, Yet all creatures... Keep on being justified by God the Father as a gift, free of charge from His grace, through redemption, to be purchased from slavery, which is a result of being in union with Christ. You believers in Christ have been purchased from slavery to sin and to the law. Romans 3.25, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, whom God the Father displayed publicly as a propitiation. What's a propitiation? Jesus Christ, his sacrifice at the cross, his blood on the cross, is the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin. Through a sacrifice of his blood, for the benefit of all who have faith in Christ for salvation. And this was to demonstrate God the Father's righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God the Father, he passed over the sins all creatures previously committed, Romans 3.26, for the demonstration, I say, of God the Father's righteousness at the present time, so that God the Father would be seen as just and as the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Romans 3.27, where then is a place for Jewish boasting? It's excluded, because by what kind of law is righteousness credited? If righteousness is credited based on the law, 
Is righteousness credited based on the law by the principle of works? No. Righteousness is credited based on the principle of faith alone and Christ alone for salvation. So simple. The transition from the law of works to the law of faith makes boasting before God impossible for every creature. However, failure to keep the whole law makes boasting before God impossible as well. If you break one principle of law, you broke the whole principle. It did not faze the Jews or the Galatians believers that this truth was true. In self-righteousness, they boasted anyway about how spiritual they were because of all their additions to salvation. It was a complete superiority play. Paul was Jewish, and he always had the Jewish mindset in view as he wrote the letters to address their rejection of the Messiah's work in favor of their own. He would always go to the Jewish temples first. Why is boasting before God excluded? In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, it says this, We maintain that a man is justified, that is, declared righteous by God, just as if he had never sinned, by faith alone and Christ alone. Another principle entirely, apart from works of the Mosaic law. Romans 3, 29, Or is God a God of Jews only, the ones who were given the Mosaic law? Is God not the God of the Jews and also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is the God of the Gentiles also. Romans 3.30, for we maintain, or, I'm sorry, Romans 3.30, since indeed the God who will justify the circumcised, which are the Jews, by faith only, and the God who will justify the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith only, is the same God. There's only one God. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. Absolutely not. On the contrary, we establish the law through faith. What does that mean? That the law came in so that we would be proven to be lawbreakers? And when you're a lawbreaker, you need parole. That's what the Lord offers us. Parole. So as a result of justification by faith, believers in Christ are no longer in bondage to sin, no longer in bondage to the thought of keeping the law or not keeping laws puts our salvation somehow in jeopardy. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says this, Sin shall no longer be a master over you believers in Christ because you're not under the law, you are under God's grace. One verse. Studying one verse could have saved me from 21 years of Roman Catholicism and 29 years of systematic theology. Trying to stop sinning in Roman Catholicism, trying to keep the law in systematic theology. 50 years of absolute futility. Luckily, I had the one thing right, faith alone and Christ alone, but everything else was off. I was a false teacher teaching false doctrine. Believers in Christ are free from sin, and we are free from the law. God the Father was wronged by sin, and if he had chosen to do what humans do when we are wronged, he would have sent us all to the lake of fire. Instead, he did what only God would do. In mercy, he sent his son to die for our benefit, to repair the breach between him and us. 
which we created. And when we were helpless and hopeless and condemned, and when we were the targets of his wrath, God the Father sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to suffer the perfect death, and to have the perfect result, the chance to be saved through faith alone and Christ alone, taking advantage of his grace alone as people. Often we feel insignificant. We allow the world and its standards to rob us of joy. We let our mistakes define us. God simply does not see us that way. Then we want to work to please him, thinking it will get us back into his good graces. Believers in Christ never leave God's good graces. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to say it again. Believers in Christ never leave God's good graces. We are the targets of his grace. We can't please him by working. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says this, But to the one who does not work for salvation, but believes in the Lord Jesus Christ who justifies the ungodly. And who are the ungodly? They're unbelievers, ungrateful, undeserving unbelievers. This person's faith is credited to his account by God as righteousness. That's what you want God to put in your account. Your spiritual bank account needs to include righteousness from God. For a Christian, I want you to really pay attention to this next part. For a Christian to ever feel insignificant for any reason does not reflect a true understanding of who the Lord is and what the Lord did for us at the cross. And I'm going to repeat that. For a Christian, to ever feel insignificant for any reason does not reflect a true understanding of who the Lord is and of what the Lord did for us at the cross. But how does it happen? We get our eyes on people and what they think of us. But here's what the Lord did for us at the cross. Romans chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. If through the transgression by the one, Adam, spiritual death reigned as king, through Adam, and it did, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through faith alone in Christ alone will reign as king in the resurrection life through the one, Jesus the Christ. Romans 5.18. So just as through the principle of Adam's first transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so, through the principle of of one act of righteousness, which was the Lord's work at the cross, there resulted in justification of life to all men. Romans 5.18 Free of charge. Being saved is free of charge. Romans 5.19 Through Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We were made unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers from physical birth. Even so, through the obedience of the Lord Jesus to Christ, the many will be considered righteous before God the Father, those of us who choose to place our confidence in Jesus Christ for eternal life. As Christians, we suffer much abuse at the hands of those who claim to love us. That's not what happens in our relationship with Christ. Justification is a simple legal act. 
no matter what sins you commit for the rest of your life, through one act of justification, in God's eyes, you are declared not guilty. Your sins are paid in full. The only problem is that you believers in Christ believe Satan's lies about you much more than you believe that truth from the Lord. Justification happens at a single moment in time. The result of justification is that it stands finished forever. Believers in Christ are saved once and for all time. So let's remember this. Let's remember this important doctrine. Every time we want to doubt who we are in union with Christ. Let's remember this important doctrine. Every time we forget our identity in Christ. And let's keep on remembering Christ and thanking him for his amazing work for us at the cross. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today could be the ten most important minutes of your life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The Lord Jesus Christ gave you a powerful weapon and a perfect gift from the moment of your physical birth. Choice. You get to choose the life you want to live. The life you are living right now is the sum of all the decisions you have made so far in your life. The Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe, and the Savior of all mankind says there are only two choices for your eternal future. Either heaven, which is the small gate and the narrow way, or the lake of fire, the wide gate and the broad way, described in Matthew chapter 17, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through the wide gate. Matthew 7, 14, but the, way, the, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life, eternal life, and there are few who find the small gate. Which road will you choose for eternal life? Those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction may think there's comfort in numbers. Yet it's not true. Believing what everyone else believes does not save you. Placing your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God. That's why we call him Lord. He is 100% man, true humanity like you and me. And that's why we call him Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Jesus says he is the small gate, which makes him your guide to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. God the Father's plan for your life is simple. Believe. What does it mean to believe? Take somebody's word for it of what something takes. Believe in his son, and that is your ticket to eternal life. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. The broad way that leads to destruction, and people who are on that road place their confidence in liars 
The Lord Jesus Christ warns them about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, beware of the false prophets, that's false teachers, who come to you in sheep's clothing, which means they're appearing harmless, who inwardly are ravenous wolves out to destroy your eternal future. As ravenous wolves, false teachers want to rip to shreds your chance for a great eternity by deceiving you with a false gospel message. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 illuminates the issue. There is a way that seems right to a man, and that way is saving yourself by thinking good deeds will earn your salvation. But its end is the way of death, and that's a reference to the second death in the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the other hand, offers the true gospel message, an invitation for you to be saved with a warning attached. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment, instant salvation. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life, eternal life, Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and that's the moment of eternal life for you. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. God's enemy, Satan, is the sponsor of false teachers, false teaching, and a false gospel message. You have to be able to discern the difference between God's truth and Satan's lies. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 said this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, the word of God from a true teacher, then you are truly disciples of mine. John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, the true gospel message, and the truth will make you free. Another warning for those who choose the broad way is Matthew chapter 7, Verses 21 to 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven by obeying the gospel message will enter heaven. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name didn't we cast out demons? And in your name didn't we perform many miracles? Matthew 7, 23. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me into the lake of fire, you who have practiced a lifestyle of lawlessness. So don't wait until it's too late to consider what road you're on. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, which means to change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe his gospel message. The will of God the Father is that you believe in his Son, so that you can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who choose the narrow way have decided that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only ticket to heaven. Get yourself on the narrow way that leads to eternal life 
in heaven right this minute. It's a single decision with the result that lasts forever, and it's something you will never regret. Well, let's close with music. The apostle that Jesus loved, and that's the way John described himself, said it 98 times in his gospel. If you want to be saved, just believe. That's it. We are justified by faith alone and Christ alone through his grace expressed at the cross. And the best thing about justification is that it's open to everyone. Or as June Murphy puts it in song, it's open to whosoever.
June. Doesn't June sound good? Almost sounds like she's live. We miss June. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us as believers in Christ to reflect you in everything we do. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Thanks for studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. You are